0: to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: (laughs) Trauma of any kind can create bizarre worlds, Worlds that become even stranger when the mind that creates them is ill. It can be hard to find a way through, back to the place where people can reach in and find you. Catherine's book, The Things We Left Sleeping, is her attempt to explain that journey. Valeria interviews Catherine Lund. She is the author of The Things We Left Sleeping. Catherine Lund lives in York, in the north of England. Her work is often an exploration of a world experienced through a neurodivergent brain. Her novel, The Things We Left Sleeping, was a shelf-unbound indie top 100 for 2022. She has a book of short stories, The Things We Keep in the Cupboard, which she wrote for her M.A. in Creative Writing. She was awarded the Blackwell Prize in Creative Writing for her postgraduate work. Catherine uses her writing to platform speaking about mental health, chronic illness, and living with invisible disability. She's renovating a house which, when it stops looking like a building site, her girlfriend has promised to move into. Meet Catherine at cathrinlundtheauthor.co.uk. Here's the interview with Catherine Lund.
0: In your own words, who is Catherine Lund?
2: Catherine Lund is a author. She's from the north of England. She is a human being with what I like to think of a multiplicity of experiences. So she's had things that have happened to her that she's had no control over. And she's had things that have happened to her that she's taken control over. And those are two very different and distinguishing, but important parts of our life. So I like to think that she's somebody who has found the things that she can embrace and has learned to let go of the things that she can't.
0: Mm, Yes, beautifully said. And with that, a question comes to mind. Having control over some things and not having control over others how do we know the difference i know i have heard quotes about that that has to do with wisdom what have you found from your own experience what insights have you gained into that how do we know the difference
2: it's it's a very good question so the two things that i see as major things yeah. that have happened to me is first off i experienced um, parental grief so I lost my mother when I was about 24 so we have no control over death we have no control really over when it comes to us it is just it's something that happens and it enters our life and the other thing that I have no control over is that I have neurofunctional disorder and that is a neurological condition which you can be prone to but it strikes at different points of your life so you can get it you know in early childhood or you can get it when I got it which was around about 18 19 was when things started to onset and then in my early 20s so that's two things I have no control over and you also have for a lot of the time no control over reactions to it so grief is a very uncontrollable and a very Wild reaction, and you know it, it's something that 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 wants to run wild, and really, and really, we should let it. And I have very little, and, and for for many years, for at least a decade, had very little control over how I felt about being ill, because to me, that illness was intrusive. It it was and remains destructive and painful and inhibiting. What I can control, what I found that I can control is how I feel about my own reaction. So I can't control my reactions. I can control how I feel about my reactions. So it's okay for me to feel anger. It's okay for me to feel pain. It's okay for me to not feel at one with my body at times because I don't because pain is something that is it's very hard to feel as a part of yourself especially when you're experiencing so I found that what I can control are very definitely my reactions to my reactions it's how I choose to to live with my reactions and that learning to to do that can very definitely take you out of a very negative place and you know, really allow you to be all right with where you are. So I have very definitely learned to be all right with feeling sorrow and with feeling grief for the person that I was before I was ill. She's gone. And that allows me to be the person that I am now, which is the person on, you know, the other side of, of the journey of grief, both myself and, and for my mum and the person, you know, that that I am who, who is, a, a different person in many, many ways. But whilst at first that was a difficult thing to reconcile myself to, because I, I felt a lot of anger at the fact I'd changed, I felt a lot of disappointment, I now feel that, you know, that that's the person that I've ended up being and, and she's an okay person and, I, and I'm happy with her. So to me, that's the difference. We have things in our life that we can't control and they enter our lives and a lot of the time, we can't control our reactions to them. They're very natural reactions, and they're reactions we have to work through. Even if it takes us decades, you know, like it, it took me. I'm um, about 14 years into this illness, and I'd say I'm, I'm just about okay with it. But mm-hmm. what we can control is how we treat ourselves, and how we treat our thoughts, and how we respond to our thoughts. And, and those are the things that are controllable to us.
0: Wow, oh, beautifully said. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. It's. Yeah, it resonates true to me, right? Controlling how we feel about our responses to life.
2: Yeah, because I I think we can be very self-punishing. We can feel that, you know, we we felt something and because it's a negative emotion that that necessarily makes us a negative person, that's a negative experience. But negative emotions, we we feel them for a reason and we, we need to be all right with feeling those emotions. Just as we feel positive, reactions and positive responses, you know, they're, they're all part of going through the journey of, of, of experience and we need to be all right with that, we need to be all right with the sort of the voices in our head sometimes and, and the doubts, we, we need to be all right with those things, they're, they're all right to feel and they're all legitimate things to feel.
0: Right, yes, a billion times that truth, thank you for saying that. So do you feel that where you are today is um, you are in a place where there's no suffering anymore? Would you
2: say that? I would I I will never say that there's not that there's not suffering because suffering exists because we love suffering exists Mm. because we feel. Mm. So I still feel sadness deep. You know, almost physical sadness at the death of my mum because she was a huge influence in my life she was a fantastic and energetic person who you know really still influences me for today so you know I have a partner at the moment well hopefully I have a partner forever because I love them and they're going to be moving in so do I feel sadness that my mum's not going to be there and to meet and to meet them yes yes I do and you know, there, there's days when my pain levels are so high I can't get out of bed. I, I can't, I can't think. I'm so uncomfortable. I just, I just want it to stop. So, the suffering's there. But what I find is that I don't feel like there's only the suffering, and it's no longer an overwhelming sense of suffering. It's today I'm having a difficult day. Today I'm having a really difficult day, but my life is more than that suffering because, you know, I, my, my condition means that for several years, you know, I was extremely ill, extremely ill. I, I had to move back in with my dad. I couldn't support myself. I could barely make it across the room. I just, you know, the pain was constant and that's when the suffering feels like the default state of of what you are. It's just, like, I'm, I'm here and I'm suffering. And what is the, off, what, what, what offsets that for me and, and, and there was no offset whereas now I de- very definitely feel that my life is full of these things that not only are they positive but I once again care that they're positive I have the emotional capacity to care about the fact that they're positive and you know I, f- I feel well enough that I can actually feel those positive things in my life and, and that's more than enough to offset the bad days. And it's, it's a balance that's taken a, lo- a long time in coming back and, you know, a lot of different trials of, of different approaches and, and different things that, are, does this work for me and, or does it not work for me and, and, you know, not despairing when it doesn't and, well, let's try the next thing, let's try the next thing, let's let's keep going, which is it's difficult to do when you're doing it because you just think it's, it's going to be forever. It's going to just be forever trying one thing. And the next thing, so for me, that was medications because you know they they stop my um well you see I'm doing it at the moment they stop my absence seizures a little bit you know it's it's a lot of therapy it's a lot of counseling it's a lot of just you know taking time being kind to myself with what jobs I take Um, but you know so also just being Kind to myself about where my life is and and allowing myself the space that's that's needed to to let go of the things that aren't important which is a lot of what my my books about it you know when you're struggling and when you're fighting and when you can't hold on to things what are the important things that you take hold of and that you don't leave sleeping because those are the things that you need to take you through your life and and you know to give you your your emotional capacity—they're they're the things that are going to sustain you, So for me my family, and you know, love and friendship—and and those things that they were yeah. what I allowed myself to prioritise. And if, if everything else slips away, that's fine. Let it let it slip.
0: Mm. Yes, I love the uh, the piece of acceptance.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, acceptance is a piece. It's. Uh, I, I had a therapist once who said, you know, why. Are you struggling when all you're doing is digging downwards? You're not digging mm-hmm. anywhere. You're digging downwards. And right. um, just, just the image of that constant struggle, struggle, struggle. And yeah. you're not moving. You're you're just going deeper and deeper into what's wrong. And acceptance you know, yeah. is very definitely leaving the hole and looking around and going, you know what, if I'm here, I'm here. Let's put the energy elsewhere. Let's stop digging. And let's put what energy we have elsewhere. And I think that is what balances suffering. If you know, mm-hmm. if the suffering, if you have yeah. something in your life which is is going to be there and it, and it's going to hurt, acceptance of the fact it, it can it can bring a lot of peace. And you're like, you know what, that's that's just gonna be the way it is. It doesn't mean you stop trying. Yeah. It just means you accept that there's going to be something that you've got to try about possibly for the rest of your life so so you keep trying
0: it doesn't mean that pain and peace cannot coexist
2: uh, it, it doesn't at all um, and I did think for a while I refused acceptance because I I equated acceptance with giving up right yeah which is a very dangerous thing because right. you think acceptance means that I'm alright with my situation that you know I accept I accept things that I don't want to accept, and it's—it's it's not. It's about accepting the situation that it, that you're in, so that you can move forward, mm, yeah. and 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 you know and, and carry on. It's. I think acceptance is that is the very opposite opposite of defeat. You know, I, I think yes. acceptance is, is actually a very empowering victory.
0: Yeah, it's exactly what you said earlier about focusing the attention elsewhere. So that's what acceptance does. It really yeah. opens that space for movement. So cause yeah. not accepting feels like we are stuck. That has been my experience. So Very definitely. when I accept and then something moves and then I can see different ways of doing what I'm doing or different ways of living, mm-hmm. seeing life, whatever it is. So I think it creates movement. And that's what it is for me it has been. I asked the question about suffering because I often hear that pain and suffering are two different things. So like you mentioned about uh, having control of the way we feel about our reactions to responses to whatever it is. So that sounds like moving through pain and not being stuck. So suffering to me has to do with being stuck. That's my perspective.
2: I think suffering is a sort of endurance. Suffering is having to endure something where you wish you could just pick yourself up and and put yourself somewhere else so to me suffering is that feeling of being trapped in a situation where there's there's no escape there's no escape hole there's there's no there's no escape button no one can and and it's that feeling that overwhelms you and sticks with you and you know when your pain is 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 a very large pain, and and you know for me with it being a neurological pain, so it's a very invasive one. It it feels it almost has a physical feeling to it, like there's something sticky inside my head that's just stuck to me, and I I can't I can almost visualise it as you know as a pain, and I think that's why I personally for me equate the two together because I have pain and because of the pain I suffer because I can't remove myself from the pain and I can lessen it so you know I try visualizing my pain I do you know I try you know imagining it and and and, you know removing it from myself and I I can lessen it but you know then I can walk into a shop and the lights are on and it just you know it hits you like like you've been physically hit and so it's that awareness that the pain is there and that you are sort of trapped by the feeling that it, it's like a shadow that follows you and, and, and at some point it, it's going to leap on you. Yeah. And that's, so for me, they, they are an interconnected pain and suffering.
0: When you speak of fa- pain, a sense of not being able to move away from it, are you speaking of physical pain or emotional pain?
2: Very definitely physical, because physical, I think emotional yeah. pain we can move on from yeah. and we do move through um you know it's it's a very it, it can feel like a very physical thing in our emotional pain but it's it, it is something where we can move through it and we can also you know because it feels like a physical pain we can do physical things to help alleviate it you know we can walk we can go out into nature we can we can stand and scream and all those things help vent that pain and help help us work through that pain um So you know, and our emotional pain is—it's a complex thing, and it can be very quiet. It can just sit there and sleep, and we cannot realise that we're in it. It, It's only when we've sort of worked through it a little bit that we realise how tired we've been or how on edge we've been. Or and you know, it's—it's almost that when it goes, we we realise that it was there. Whereas physical pain, we know it's there. It's—it's not a shy pain, I think. Emotional pain can can be very subtle. It's like it's it's something that, that mm. slumbers and sleeps and and wakes up. Yeah, that's
0: a very good point. Emotional pain can be very subtle too, right? And mm. emotional pain can cause physical pain. That's what I, right psychological Absolutely. mental. The relationship that I have created with I have been practicing with physical pain when it happens is the observation of the sensation. So, yes. oh, this is different." And there's a lot of um, I put the mind in the place of curiosity, I always ask, "Oh, this is different." Hmm." And then there's this almost like uh, discovery, this journey of discovering why the texture of that sensation which yeah. I don't even call pain. I call it a sensation, huh? And I know I'm feeling it because I'm alive. I'm in the body. This is, it, it yeah. seems to, it's the body, right? So it, it will go yeah. through all these things.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting to hear you say that because one of the, the huge problems that I had when you know, I first started having to describe pain to neurologists was yeah. that it was my mind that was in pain. It was my brain that was in pain. So the thing, the vehicle that I had to express pain was the one that was experiencing it. And it was so hard to describe it. And I would try all sorts of things. Like It, it feels like the sensation of snowing. It feels like when you get aluminium foil and scrunch it up. And, you know, it, it feels like that, but inside. And it, it feels like something that sticks. And it, and it feels like none of those things. They're just the... And, I, I find I found it such a frustrating process to try and actually art, articulate what, as you said, not not just what the pain was, but what the sensation that I was feeling was, and that's and it was by writing about it that I did my best to exercise it because, it, it to me, it wasn't just the experience of pain. The pain was also, you know, associated with memory loss and with word loss, with difficulty. Formulating um, so that journeys, I get, you know, I was getting physically lost because my mind was hurting, and I'd suddenly like look around and have no idea where I was, or wouldn't remember a route. So it was also trying to express that pain isn't just the the feeling of pain; it's the the sensations that it causes, and then it's a much wider feeling both physically and and sort of mentally it it reaches out so it's like this this central thing which is the pain and then there's there's everything else that that reaches out around you and um it's a it's a very difficult thing to describe because you just say my head hurts but what you mean is your existence is just entirely Mm. out of tune with itself Mm. and you feel like you're Mm lost in your own head there's just no directions right yes
0: I understand that I mean I I think I can I'll be asking you questions about your books and uh, the inspiration for that but um, I'd like to make a comment about this experience of physical pain and then or perhaps emotional pain that becomes physical and then it transcends into something else I have had an experience where I was in a relationship that was so turbulent and I didn't know what to do. There was an incident or a situation where I completely lost, let's say, the sense of reality. I didn't know where the pain was coming from anymore. If it was physical, it it was physical, I'm sure, and then also emotional, uh, mental perhaps, who knows? Everything was happening at the same time. And then I remember... Just letting, letting it go, just not because I wanted to. That was not conscious. It was involuntary. I just yeah. gave in to everything that was happening. And then it was interesting to notice that, because I can't remember, that means something was there recording all that, observing yeah. the experience, where I just let everything just flow and be what it was. And it became this very magical experience of just being guided by something other than the rational mind that I was very familiar with until then. So to me, it became a spiritual experience, mystical experience, where I was just walking uh, on the streets and I was not feeling lost. It was, it seemed like the body was lost because I had no idea where I was going, but there was that sense of, uh, I was being guided by something that I knew it wouldn't let me get hurt. The body or any yeah. anything about me get hurt. So I was that was the, I was grounded in trust at, in that moment, um, and then everything went well. And um, I never wrote about that. I guess I've, perhaps I did my first book, but <laughs> maybe I did. I'm not sure. Um, that's interesting. There's so much stigma about all these things that I probably left that out those details. But thank you for bringing that back in me now, even to express yeah. that.
2: I I think you know our minds and our bodies they, they are connected so if something is going on in our mind you know it, it does come out in our bodies and if something's going on in our bodies it, it affects how we feel and you know sometimes that just gets amplified and amplified and you know I I mean I, I know that I, my, my type of um, neuro, neurological problem that I have it's um, very much it gets worse and it, it it's it's, a, it's, a, it's it gets worse when you're stressed when you're anxious um, so there is that connection in between your emotional health mm-hmm. and the you know the, the actual physical yeah. health of, yeah. of, of your neurology and it's a very complex and very yeah. difficult thing to understand Mm, yes, and it, for me,
0: my path was spirituality. So after all these experiences I had, I'm very curious about everything. Of course, science to me there's no disconnection. Everything is one thing yeah. happening here uh, is spiritual. But for you, have you kind of explored the realm of spirituality and what that is?
2: Yeah, so we spirituality is it's a. It's a strange thing because I've never been very good at the idea of religion. To me, religion and spirituality are very separate things. Spirituality is something to do with what is the fundamental of you? like what, What is the actual fundamental core of you that when everything else goes, there's something left? And, you know, I don't think that... Possibly until you experience, you know, very deep grief, or until you experience, you know, a, a life changing illness, that you you come to understand that you do have a, a part of yourself that seems to be a, a fundamental truth, and it's been quite, and and, and to me that was um, the the realization of of what it was that I love to do, which was which was writing, so. It was and, and that might sound like not a very spiritual thing, but you know, i loved writing when I was younger. I'd i books, I I, you know, I, I'd lived most of the world in my own head, but got a different direction at uni was you know very driven. And then when I got ill, I you know I lost the ability to carry things, I lost the ability to write sentence structures I lost words I lost everything tried going back to university to try and prove that you know I could still I could still do all this stuff couldn't do it but then I, and one night it just got so bad and overwhelming that I rang my dad and just said, Come and get me. I've got to the point where I can't leave the house. I can't open letters because I don't understand them. I've just, I have completely lost it. I'm not eating. Just, just come and get me. And, you know, bless my dad, he had to set off and drive 400 miles to come and get me from, from where I was. And I couldn't sleep. So, whilst I was sat waiting for him, I just got my laptop out and I was really upset. And I wrote a short story. And what is unfathomable about that is that I'd had to leave uni because I couldn't write essays, I couldn't structure my thoughts, I couldn't structure my, as I say, physical journeys. I'd lost the ability to find my way from my flat to campus. But I wrote a short story and I sent it off and it won a competition and it won me some money. And I'm like, how do I still have this part of myself that functions and that it's just still there so I never think of it personally as spirituality I think of it as fundamentals what are the fundamentals which don't seem to leave you and which seem to just be an innate and you know that's not to say that my, my writing was brilliant from the start. And like here I am, it was brilliant. I still had to really work at it, and you know, there's still things that I struggle at because of my difficulties. But you know, it it was something that was that was there and that was comforting, and that was like you know, we we can still do this. It's 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 an unerasable part of what you are. Yeah. So I think that that for me was, and that that's what I. And, and sorry, if you can hear me, Owen. Oh, um, yeah, it's, it's so cute. Yeah, I like that. Yes. I don't have the heart to shut her out of this room because it's yeah. it's her bedroom. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh-huh. so spiritual is very much, I mm. I see it as the, the non-physical parts of ourselves that just, they don't seem to slip and they don't seem to go. And just like, you know, uh, sort of very deep emotions for people remain a, a thing, and you know it might fluctuate up and down a little bit. But you know, these are the people that we love, and this is this is how we love them, and this is the person that we are, and you know that that's our nature. And circumstances and nurture alter it, but you know, it, it's it's absolutely who we are. So that 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 was my sort of equivalent of of the of the spiritual. It was that.
0: That's how I understand spirituality. Yes, it's being in touch with that, which you call fundamental. I love that word too, the essence. (laughs) That never changes. It's always here. Um, Even when the body, the mind, it's going through a lot of confusion (laughs) and feeling lost, whatever it is, pain. There's something that's recording all that, that's uh, watching, that's there. That's a piece. Yeah. It's always a piece. So that's, um, yeah, that's ex- how I define spirituality, right? Being able to to realize that. It's not really understand with the intellect only, but it's just to realize that and bring that flavor into the conditioned body-mind complex.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> So speaking
0: of your work, so you wrote three books, I believe I found on Amazon. So the one that we'll talk about today, The Things We Left Sleeping, and then you wrote two others, Uh, Pointless Mouse and Ordinary Day, (laughs) a short, badly drawn picture book about mental health and neurological disorder, and also The Things (laughs) We Keep in the Cupboard, a collection of short stories. So... Talk to me about The Things We Left Sleeping. What can you say about this book? What can you share? Because we don't want to share everything in it, obviously, especially. Oh, and-
2: no, it, it, it's a book about exactly what we've just been talking about yes. there. So The Things right. We Left Sleeping are, you know, what are the parts of yourself that are fundamental and that you will fight to take with you mm-hmm. when times are hard? So it's a book I wrote to try and it, explain to people and to sort of not just to to show them but to give them an idea of what it's like to to experience you know neurological disorder and neurological dysfunction so it's about um a young girl who who is ill, she's you know suffering from seizures, she's she's very, she's very lost inside herself. So she's inhabiting a world entirely inside of her own her own head where she feels very trapped and it, it's snowing, it's all these sort of manifestations of of her pain and her disorientation and she's stuck there and she's wordless and she's voiceless. She's not in charge of her own narration of her, she's not guiding her own story so as she goes through she begins to sort of explore her environment and to journal and then to sort of try to start to take back over the narration of her life and the direction of her life and and make her way out of this landscape that she's really created for herself inside her head. And on in the rest of the book, in sort of the world outside her head, it's about her partner and her dad who are sort of, what is it like for the family that are living with someone who's suffering? How is an illness affecting and impacting them? And really what I wanted to do with the book was explain and, and show what, it, what it's like to sort of lose complete control of your mind and to have to, Build it back up, and to fight for the autonomy of your narration. And as you as you do that, what are the things that you want to take with you? What are the things that you'll want to actually keep as a part of yourself? You know what? What are your fundamentals? And what are the things that you're just going to let them go? You know they're not important. They're not something that you need to struggle with and battle with. So it it's a fictional story and. It's quite, it's a very fairy tale like story, I think, you know, it's all about somebody making this journey out of a very strange and foreboding and, you know, rather dark place towards somewhere where they can feel safe and hopeful and and come back into back into a real world but it's um, a fiction very definitely based on the reality of my life so it, like my medical notes are in there so you can understand what's going on from a medical point of view and from a mental health point of view um, it's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a sort of strange hybrid the main character Evie she isn't me but she's she's there to, to give voice to, to my experience.
0: I mentioned off record, thanking you for being open to life in a sense of being human, (laughs) human enough, knowing that that's what we are here, to explore what's happening, what happened in a very light way, in a, a creative way. That's very artistic to me. And you know, Catherine, what I really came to understand, to realize perhaps, is that this reality is exactly that. Uh, it can seem yeah. very confusing, the reality that we call life. That's, uh, yeah. to me, it's a dream. It's just, uh, it's an interesting dream. Very interesting dream. Very strange dream too. <laughs> a, a strange
2: and bizarre one. And certainly <laughs> having like been through stages in my life where I've been having very, very vivid, very physical dreams, sometimes it was very hard to distinguish between what was the actual reality of the world and what was you know, the reality of the inside of my head. And very often I, like, there's still things now where I have a memory and I don't know if that memory is a dream or if it's something that everybody else experienced as well. And it's, for a while, the the world got very blurred and there's nothing like writing to be able to share that confusion because we when we read I think we're more willing to accept a strange reality as a way of expressing things and you know that was why a novel was you know a wonderful vehicle and also because in a physical book we don't I don't have to um, write in a linear way so the book itself is a reading experience so you know, as I said, there's the medical notes in there, there's concrete poetry in there, this this things happening side by side. Because reality isn't always a linear experience and our journeys aren't linear experiences. We're very accustomed to reading in paragraphs, but we we live in pictures. We don't we don't live in paragraphs, we live in pictures. Yes. So, you know, I, I mm-hmm. hope that the, the actual presentation of the book itself is more realistic to the chaos of, of life. And when you
0: talk about safety, that's the picture that I see, is that this reality called life, it's a dream, it's always changing. That's exactly, it just has, has this this quality of, feeling stable because we wake Mm. up and then it's still here, whatever we left here, it's still here, the (laughs) mind, they have the memories and all. But the only aspect of this reality that makes me feel safe, it's knowing that there's something here that doesn't change, that's at peace, that's very, it's just kind of, um, it's not attached to any of it, what's happening. It's like sleeping at night, having those dreams. And all of a sudden, if you woke up in, in your own dream, we will see that we remember that we're sleeping, our body's in bed sleeping, so it's safe. Uh, It's okay to go through all this.
2: (laughs) I I often, I'm having a dream and I look around (laughs) and I'm like, this is absolutely a dream. And for a while it will panic me, but I've got to the stage now where I look around and it's a dream and I go, so I'm asleep, nothing can happen and I will wake up at some point. And, you know, oftentimes in the things we left sleeping, you know, in the in the book, what I wanted it to be was this idea that you don't always know that you're dreaming, but then when you do, you 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 know, you you sort of you, you gain autonomy over your dream. But also that's a bit like what life is like. You're sort of going along and then you realise that you do have autonomy over a lot of over a lot of your journey. And you know, some things you don't like in a dream, like things are bizarre and they're weird. And you can't run but you can fly. And like life's like that, you can't always run, but you can you can fly in small ways. You know, so a lot of the time we we don't realise the autonomy that we have. And that goes back to what we were talking about right at the start, is you know, life's full of events that we don't have autonomy over. And we don't have autonomy over those reactions, but, you know, we do have autonomy over how we treat ourselves about those reactions. And that's a hugely powerful thing because that's where our wellness comes from. I think it comes from how we treat ourselves and how we view ourselves. Yes. And, you know, the parts of us that, as I say, we're happy to let go of and Mm. the parts of us that we, we won't leave sleeping.
0: Yes, uh, that's a beautiful metaphor though. I mean <laughs> it's almost like a whole new episode that we can talk about dreaming, what's real, what's not. <laughs> that's I mean it's one of my favorite topics anyway. it's yeah. it's actually I mean influenced a lot by uh, spiritual teachings from Vedanta that's a Hindu. School of philosophy, of of understanding reality, that's fascinating. And there's a lot of this comparison of of the dream. And that's so true. Once we start to open up to that, the intellect, then we can see that everything is just a dream. It's so obvious, but of course we sometimes forget that and we fall asleep, we sleep again and, and then we feel yeah. like the dream is real. But um, And then it's knowing how to return to it. Like you say, I love the way you keep saying that about treating ourselves with kindness and going back yeah. to that stage. That's it, that's it, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so let me see. Oh yeah, I had that question about invisible disability. I read that in your bio.
2: Yeah, yeah I, talk to me about it,
0: that.
2: It, it surprises me that you haven't heard the phrase before. Maybe no. it's maybe it's a UK thing, but when we talk about invisible disability, um, you know, you hear it quite a, a lot around um, sort of disabled rest areas, like they have signs on the door that say not every disability is visible. So it's, it's about those disabilities which are internal ones. So there isn't always a physical reminder of disability. Um, You know, there's lots of people with um impairments, physical impairments but ones that you can't see or that, you know, they, they choose not to publicly show. And then you know there's there's lots of people whose disability and whose chronological illness is entirely internal, be it a physical internal illness or um you know a, a neurological or, or a mental mental illness and invisible disability can make you very much feel invisible because it's harder for people to remember to accommodate them they have no visual reminder for that accommodation they have no visual reminder to you know e- extend i don't to. i don't want to say the word kindness but to extend that accommodation so it can it can very much feel like it's like I, I'm about to start a new job and um, you know whilst I've told occupational health you know everything that I, I'm, I'm going to need in, in ways of, of physical support it's knowing that you know the first time that I do something that then reminds or or tells people that I I have something that's wrong with me, that it's then going to start a conversation. You're like putting on my blackout glasses or saying, I just need to go for a timeout somewhere where there's no electronic noise, because electronic noise, you know, it just absolutely, I can feel it on my skin. It's a really hard thing to describe, but I can feel. So it's that thing that like you, you have something that's wrong with you, but it's not always visible. And then often what is visible instead is, is what it does for you so it, you know, for me it causes pain so you know my my dad had to carry me out of buildings before because I like, I physically can't move because of the light spectrum so it's it, it is it is something which is is talked about here and is you know pe- people are reminded of it which, which is a good thing because we we should be mindful of the things that we can't see and not only when it comes to Illness and comes to disabilities, but the things we can't see, which are going on inside inside everybody, we can't yeah. see the things that are going on. Right, so right,
0: it's, yeah, yeah,
2: it's self-explanatory. I thought about it, but I had to ask
0: <laughs> because your explanation was very clear. It's very clear, right? It's uh, it's yeah. the inner world, isn't it?
2: it, it With... It's the inner world, and that some people's inner world has more struggles going on. The the than other people's and that some people's inner worlds need accommodation in 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 the physical world because as we say at our inner and outer they are they're they're one thing Mm. Yeah, that's why one of the um,
0: you probably, I'm sure you heard about be kind for we don't know what others are going through, something like that, paraphrasing yeah. that. Yeah. So that's why one of my biggest, greatest practice per se is to be kind.
2: And it, it is really, really difficult, and it's it's very difficult to do it to ourselves. I, I think it's it's quite often easy to be to show kindness to the people that we love than it is to accept the kindness that we should give to ourselves. Self-criticism is a lot harder than than self-kindness.
0: Yes, it's so true. Wow, that's a very good point. Yeah, it's around that. That has been my practice for a while now, around kindness in every sense, being kind to myself, exactly what you said earlier about whatever it is that I do, the feelings I have, the reactions, whatever, I'm always very forgiving. And I, this very strong sense of self-trust, that's okay. Everything, it's okay to happen. And it mm. happened exactly the way it did. So there's no self-guilt, shame, any of that. Although, of course, these aspects, they show up sometimes, they come to visit. And then yeah. I just let them go. Just I just listen to everything. I'm very open to whatever this is, which we call life. Yeah.
2: I mean, we, we all have thoughts that sort of fly in there. It's, it's how much, yeah. you don't have to listen to them, just let them, let them fly out again. It's, yes. it's, it's
0: fine. So we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. But before that, would you like to say anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book?
2: Um, I can certainly read a passage from yeah. the book. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, when you know, when you're selecting which part to read, like which bit do you... So I'm, I'm just going to open it at a random random page and we'll just join the characters wherever they are. So here we go. We're, so we're, we're with my character, Evie, who is the character who is, as I say, stuck in this really internalised world where it's constantly snowing and she has no autonomy. And there's a sort of... Very almost sinister narrator, which is who is trying to get her to move and is trying to get her to sort of start taking an interest in what's going on around her. Um, And the way to do that is to start writing in this notebook. So here goes I erode like the sea, even the most strong of places. Lens caps closed to the world, solid as bedrock. I will beat you until my hands are dust. I will roll over the top of you until you are sound ground under the wave. You cry out, grab me, fly up, boiling up, some rock of bird gone flesh. With wings of rock, with wings that beat, beat, beat. Come on, beat me back. Join me in these rolling places. I've rifled through your nervous system. I have come out through your hair. I hold you, pin you, fall into the dugout pits of the floor. You fall on top of me, frozen earth, rain, stone rain. I grab hold of you, I wrestle, I won't let you go. I have the notebook, let me make it clear to you. I'm not going anywhere until you start the tasks in the notebook. You struggle beneath us, you go still, still but not gentle. I sit on the hump of you, you'll open and shut your eyes at me. I sit, I weigh. Way, Wait. Quiet. Come like a fire coughing on snow wood. We lay at the bottom of this pit. The soil of the long barn burns out cold around us, slips and rattles long grains into the rubble of this hall. Drop rock. You settle down on me. Soil settles down on me, fragrant and cold. You shift and not soil in the darkness. You slip the notebook up with your fingers. The pit is so cold. You press bone cage down on top of me. You open the notebook, you start to write. Slow, cold, stiff little stick fingers, finally, finally, you start to write. Wow.
0: Mm. Oh, uh, you write beautifully.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, that wow. that is about, you know, very much about the internal struggle that we have when, you know, we're, we're starting to try and make that journey, but we're, we're really having to, to, to fight to start it and to force ourselves to start it. And, you know and, and it's um it's it's a it's a difficult thing to to take control of yourself as we were saying and it's it's right. a practice and
0: i love the way you express all that it's very subtle and in a way i know it's now you've been very obvious too but it feels yeah. like poetry to me like a song um,
2: thank you thank you I, I mean i do love poetry and i think you know people are, are, are so much more accepting of sort of beautiful language when, it, when it's in poetry and of strange concepts and and of truth. People expect poetry to be truthful. So, you know, when, when, when we come to write a, a very truthful book, poet, you know, poetic language for, for that part of it, it seems, seems like a, a very truthful voice to use because people do expect truth truth from poetry and you know should, should you choose to read the things with less sleeping you, you'll you find that you know there, there is that very poetic narrative but then you know the narrative of the outside world is is much more of a, a non-poetic you know quite matter of fact narrative so you know it does it, it balances out as well and, and hopefully you know allows the reader to sort of to choose between those very different sorts of voices as, yes, as
0: they go yes it's wonderful I see you as an artist really I know that's what writers are <laughs> they're definitely artists <laughs> and it's a very soulful thing uh, to me thank you so much Catherine for being you. Thank you and before we say goodbye for today I do have one more question and then I have a technical one if life had one if life has one purpose one purpose only what would that be
2: I think life's one purpose is to simply be alive and I think that's shown to us by how hard everything fights to live when it comes comes down to it I don't think journeys necessarily have to have a set destination I don't think we're alive to prove something or to do something or to get somewhere I think we're simply alive to live and there's no reason for it and you know there's no purpose behind it other than the purpose that there is in itself which is it's to be and to be as fully and as holy as we can be because why would we be lesser than that you know it's mm. we're alive that that's a remarkable thing I don't think there can be anything more remarkable than the fact <laughs> that we're alive so that, that's its purpose it, yes. it's it's right there in 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 what it is
0: yeah, that's a profound answer, right? Uh, when, <laughs> when everything's said and done, even within the in the world of spirituality, all these you know, all the meditation, all the going to caves, even retreats, whatever, reading all these books and everything, going within, that's what we find, right? Uh, being yeah. fully human—that's what really this is about, and of course, it's a. Uh, I have to say there's um it makes it much easier let's say to be a human when we know the essence of us is non-human so that yeah. gives me the sense of freedom when I know that <laughs> when I realize that it doesn't stay for too long <laughs> the body you know it's, it's heavy and all this but um that's how it feels but thank you so much again Catherine. Yeah, thank, thank
2: you for letting me come in and share and to talk it's So it's a really powerful thing to, and and especially for me to finally be at the stage where, you know, I I do have that voice again and I I can talk and feel like I have that autonomy.
0: Yes, right. A beautiful one. I hear your heart, though. That's what it is, too. (laughs) So it's so beautiful. Thank you again. And before we say goodbye for today, where's the best place to find more about you and your books?
2: So I have a website, it's www.katherinelundtheauthor.co.uk and I'm also on Instagram as Author and on Twitter I go silent sometimes on my social media because I take little breaks from it and you know if I'm not yeah. feeling great but then I'll pop up sometimes with <laughs> pictures of my house rabbits as well so you know there's, there's always a joyous
0: reason yes. to tune in Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile too when it's Thank published. Thank you, you again for your presence and your message and everything else in between. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Catherine. Thank you so much, everyone.
1: Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Catherine Lund and her work, please visit Catherine Lund, the author.co.uk.